Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Working as a licensed mental health counselor with children and families, I come across a number of issues. One that parents often bring up is medication. Some parents are adamant that their children not be medicated for any mental health concerns, while others feel the opposite way. Personally, I'm hesitant to recommend medication from the start, and fortunately for me, prescribing medication doesn't fall under my purview, so I don't have to really focus on that. But given that, one of the mental health concerns that I frequently hear about, especially related to medication, is ADD and ADHD, or the Attention Deficit Disorder and the Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So. For today's show, I've invited a guest who is an integrative psychiatrist to help us talk about this issue a little bit more. Dr. James Greenblatt is a leading expert in behavioral and medical disorders such as ADHD, OCD, which is an obsessive compulsive disorder, eating disorders like anorexia and binge eating, as well as depression and anxiety. He has been treating patients since 1990 and has dedicated his career to providing patient-centered care and educating his colleagues on integrative psychiatry. Dr. Greenblatt currently serves as Chief Medical Officer and Vice President of Medical Services at Walden Behavioral Care in Waltham, Massachusetts, and he's on the clinical faculty at Tufts Medical School and dartmouth Geisel School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Greenblatt. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, My pleasure. It's good to be with you. Thank you. So, Dr. Greenblatt, could you explain to the listeners what it means to be an integrative psychiatrist? Uh, Sure. It's not a a kind of well-defined term, but I think for those of us in the field, it's a very powerful and important um, uh, term. And, And pretty much it just tries to deflect the very um, uh, polarized uh, treatment of mental illness where there are those that are just uh, prescribing medications. Uh, Oftentimes we call it polypharmacy, multiple medications um, for children and adults. And those that believe medicines are evil and, and just say, take this herb or take this supplement. So the goal of an integrative psychiatrist is to be well trained in the field of you know, uh, psychopharmacology, understanding where medicines fit in, but also being able to look at other tools, uh, particularly nutrition and um, diet and and lifestyle modifications that have profound effects on on mental health and wellness. That makes a lot of sense to me because in my practice on the psychology side of it, on the mental health therapy side of it, I find that there are multiple factors that affect, especially children, adults as well, but um, it's, it's never just one thing that seems to be contributing to mental health concerns. Right, and I think too much of our field has been distorted into kind of looking at just that one thing, and an integrative uh, psychiatric practice really uh, works with parents and children to look at all the factors that might be contributing. And how did you come to integrative psychiatry? I mean, is, is it possible to be trained in it or do you have to go out and learn about the various components yourself? Uh, well, it's a great question. I mean, most of my time and career now is devoted to training uh, doctors and clinicians um, because it's, it's very hard. I went to medical school interested in nutrition and brain function and that was, you know, almost 40 years ago. Um, and learned a lot on my own and studied with uh, people around the, the country and, and Canada. So it is not easy. Um, m- m- there are some medical schools now and training programs where they, you do get some lifestyle, uh, mind-body um, introductions, mindfulness and yoga and exercise, mm-hmm. um, but there's still not a lot looking at the hardcore nutritional biochemistry. 
So it sounds like a lot is left to the individual clinician to seek out the information and sort of put it together themselves. Yes, yeah, certainly more than we would like, and, and hopefully uh, that'll change over the next five, ten years. I hope so. So, Dr. Greenblatt, you've written a book called Finally Focused, which provides a solution to ADHD. Um, you've seen thousands of children and young adults through the years who struggled with these symptoms, such as inattentiveness, impulsiveness, hyperactivity, irritability, combativeness. Um, you talk about ADHD as not a behavior or a discipline problem necessarily, but a genetically driven neurological condition. Um, so I would love to talk some more about um, ADHD in particular, and, um, and then we can go into a little bit more about your treatment plan that you've, you've come up with. But can you talk to us about ADHD and, and tell us what it is? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, over the past hundred years, we've had uh, probably 20 or 30 different names for children that have been hyperactive or impulsive or you know, inattentive. And um, we went from, you know, talking about brain damage to just describing these children as, as willful. Uh, and and I, I think there's a real clear distinction between someone with a behavior problem uh, we might call oppositional defiance, and, okay. and someone who is um, neurochemically wired to have a hard time focusing, poor impulse control, and can't sit still. These are not behaviors that children have to just anger their parents or their teachers. And so I, I believe that framework, that the research is now clear and the, the work is now clear that there is a difference in, in how the the brain works and neurotransmitters work, and, and we try to correct it uh, to support these kids so they can function in school and actually function in, in adult life. And what is the difference between ADD and ADHD, if you could clarify that as well, please? Sure. N nowadays, we just use the term ADHD. Um, again, we used to separate these kids. Some were hyperactive, some were inattentive. So now the diagnostic criteria is really just attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, some individuals might have more symptoms of inattention and poor focus, poor follow through, getting bored, easily distracted. Others might be more impulsive or hyperactive, but it's really one diagnosis now. Okay. It sounds like actually a lot of different, <laughs> different criteria that fall into it. So, um, what suggestions might you have for parents, actually, in trying to determine, is this a temporary thing or is this actually um, ADHD? Is it actually a medical disorder? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the whole problem with psychiatry is uh, everything's based on a list of symptoms, depression, anxiety, and ADHD as well. And some of these symptoms appear normal or appear to be normal for a child that age. And, and that's why um, going to a mental health professional trained in the assessment and diagnosis would be um, the only way you can really make that determination because a simple checklist is not sufficient because some of those behaviors could be associated with something else. Um, there's, no, there's no test for ADHD. Um, some people have done these psychological testing uh, but many children with ADHD, that one-on-one -on -one in the testing situation, they do quite well, uh, but in a group sitting at school or other places. So it's a diagnosis by a, a child, a mental health professional, uh, based on uh, historical and um, symptoms that they can help the parents put in perspective. Right. I, again, I agree with you. I, I, um, I find it quite complicated. I'll have parents come to my practice and ask me for um, a definitive diagnosis, which, again, is difficult to give um, because often those same children that have difficulty in school in a therapeutic setting might do very well and not appear to have any of the symptoms that are problematic. Um, do you have examples or stories that you might share of clients that have come in that 
that do exhibit that sort of difference in how they relate to you individually and as opposed to in the school setting or at home and how you are able to differentiate that? Well, I, I think the, uh, the, you know, the easiest way um, to sort out some of this is really uh, asking the child directly because they're, they're quite articulate and oftentimes able to help us understand the, you know, we, we get, gather checklists from the teachers, we gather checklists from the parents, and then we uh, interview the child. And it's not necessarily the child's behavior, because if I have enough uh, skills as a interviewer to engage the child um, in topics that they are interested in, whether it's sports or games, that they're going to be looking in the eye and talking uh, uh, pre-appropriately uh, sometimes versus a, a, a history class or 30 individuals, something that they're not interested in. Um, the, the teachers might report they're not paying attention, they're tapping, they're chewing on, on pencils. So I think one of the terms that have helped me over the years is rather than, um, you know, attention deficit disorder, hyperactivity disorder, the term that I like to describe to parents is variable attention uh, deficit disorder, because one of the hallmarks is, of this disorder is this variable attention, something they're interested in, they're going to be able to kind of circumvent the neurotransmitter difficulties and focus quite well, and things they're not interested in, they can get bored very quickly and, and really struggle uh, focusing and getting uh, work done. So I work uh, quite a bit with um, gifted children, and there's a a fair amount that's been written about misdiagnosis of um, diagnosing kids with ADHD um, who actually don't have ADHD, but they are just highly gifted. Have you seen that in your practice? And what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I don't see the, that exact equation. What I see is um, parents and teachers and professionals not uh, picking up the gifts of these children with ADHD. So uh, I still might diagnose them, but there are really uh, pockets of um, uh, both intellect and passion and creativity um, that might not be as uh, kind of culturally normed as sitting in a math classroom with 30 individuals. Um, but I, I think the treatment uh, goals are always to emphasize the strengths, and oftentimes we find incredible gifts, music, art, um, sports, and, and certain topics, uh, but it is variable. Right. Yeah, that, that came to mind because the gifted children that, that I've worked with, I find that when it is something that they are truly interested in and immerse them, they can immerse themselves for hours and be highly successful at whatever those things are that um, are their are their talents or their strengths, and then with everything else, they tend to be less focused. Or if they get bored, they tend to display some of this behavior that gets diagnosed um, as the ADHD. So that's why I asked that question, and I was curious about it. Um, typically, what what is the what's the treatment for ADHD, before we get to what you have come up with, but historically? Well, I, I think historically, um, the treatment has been um, medications, uh, parent training has been the historical treatment. Individual psychotherapy has not been that helpful, but sometimes group uh, social skills therapy can be helpful. Medications are effective in 80, 90% of individuals but they are Band-Aids. They are symptomatic, short-acting, you know, relief of symptoms. They do nothing to either cure or get at the underlying cause. And the parent therapy is absolutely essential in understanding, um, helping parents understand what this diagnosis is and, and really the, those goals of uh, emphasizing strengths and minimizing weaknesses. The problem, um, <coughs> if you go out and practice as a child psychiatrist, not everybody responds to medications or kids have side effects to medications. 
And that's where, over the past 30 years, we've been looking for integrative and alternative kind of treatments. And have you had a lot of acceptance of that? Well, most of the work or the, the clinic work that we've been doing, it, we've been doing it for 30 years. And over the past 10 years, you know, the scientific community, the academic researchers have, have really supported all these uh, interventions. So that's why we wrote the book and why it's so easy to talk about it. So we've had um, incredible success over the years. Um, and again, the integrative approach where some individuals are on medications, some individuals taking a nutritional supplements, and many individuals are doing both. Wonderful. Well, we're going to come back after a short commercial break, so please stay tuned. And we're talking to Dr. Greenblatt about ADHD and the ability and how to treat it. So we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks, live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm in conversation with Dr. Greenblatt, psychiatrist and author of a book called Finally Focused, a book about ADHD. So, Dr. Greenblatt, you wrote this book, and it's based on a premise called the plus-minus plan. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you came to write the book and how you came to, more importantly, how you came to this plan, what your thoughts are about it? Uh, sure. I mean, the treatment approach, you know, has been a, a pretty consistent over the years, which is based on objective testing and trying to understand um, what's going on for an individual. We might have uh, 10 children with ADHD. Let's say they're all 10-year-old kids. Uh, there might be, you know, 10 different uh, contributing factors. So we just... Um, to kind of help parents and, and, and pediatricians came up with this uh, broad uh, approach of looking at the plus minus plan, meaning are there things that we need to add um, to a child's diet or life to support and improve symptoms, or are there things that need to be taken out uh, of either their diet or their environment uh, to support symptoms? So it was uh, just a, a easy way 
that we had described it to parents over the years that we thought putting it in a book just might be helpful for more people. So, so this, the book that you've written is something that parents can do sort of on their own or do they need the guidance? It seems it, I've read through it and it, it, it seems a little bit complicated and it requires some outside testing, but as a, as a basic sense, parents can read through it and utilize it. Is that the intention? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was written for parents and, and, you know, over the years, parents have, have read it and, and really uh, helped their children. I think um, there uh, it's, it's always best um, to engage a health professional um, who could do some of the testing, particularly if your child has been uh, challenging or not responding to some of the supplements, because some of the tests are pretty simple and inexpensive and understanding, again, exactly what we're treating uh, oftentimes I can be the most uh, helpful. So you start out with um, talking about magnesium, and you talk about that as being an essential component. Can you talk a little bit about that and the role that magnesium plays? Uh, sure. Again, so much of my approach as an integrative psychiatrist is you know, personalized medicine, individuality, and uh, it's similar in ADHD. We talk about different kinds of uh, uh, problems, but I wanted to start off the book with the, the, where there's absolutely no controversy, there's no testing required. And I would say in my experience, again, over 30 years, 99% of the children uh, and mostly adults that I've seen with ADHD are deficient in magnesium and can benefit from magnesium. That's why it's the place that I wanted to start as one of the first pluses, what we need to add to our children's diet with ADHD is uh, the mineral magnesium. So what does it look like if you're deficient in magnesium? Well, I mean, there are four kind of um, uh, what we call hallmark clinical signs of magnesium deficiency. And that would be insomnia, irritability, anxiety, and constipation. Okay. Uh, those are the most common. And then, you know, magnesium is also important for all the smooth, smooth muscles. So, so there's an expression, if it's spasms, think magnesium. So the kids with asthma, irritable bowel, headaches also are typically magnesium deficient. So... Um, of course, because somebody is deficient or because somebody has those symptoms, it doesn't necessarily relate to these attention disorders, but it, it could be the first step. It's the first place you look. Uh, it's just the first um, kind of clinical uh, questions we might want to ask, um, but it just helps us understand the role of magnesium because many of the children with ADHD do struggle with um, uh, insomnia and irritability and, and often anxiety and constipation. Um, and there's no good test for magnesium because most of the magnesium is in our bones and cells. Uh -huh. So it's those clinical symptoms are one of the ways that we can determine. So with magnesium, then you just have the parents add magnesium to the diet and see what, the, what happens with the symptoms? Is that basically how you work with that yes and and again oftentimes if they are having problems sleeping they'll see sleep improve constipation improves sometimes irritability and anxiety so magnesium uh, typically taken twice a day would be the most common recommendation without testing that we have made over the years and do you find that a lot of your um, patients improve with just the magnesium alone well, I mean, my practice now is a little skewed because these are individuals that have failed multiple trials of either supplements or meds. Um, certainly talking to pediatricians um, and, and other people in the community that sometimes magnesium is sufficient as an intervention. Um, oftentimes those that are doing okay on medications and have side effects to the medications, uh, like on a stimulant, Irritability is one of the side effects. Taking magnesium with the medication can often eliminate that side effect. 
Ah, okay. So this, these, um, so your plus minus plan can can coincide with medication that the the child is already taking. Then, absolutely, everything we talk about again has an integrative perspective. Can be utilized with medicines if needed. Okay. Um, in terms of other um, minerals and other supplements, I was intrigued by the lithium because lithium is something that's often given for bipolar disorder, but you talk about lithium as a nutritional supplement. Can you talk a little bit more about the effect of that and how that works? Yes, um, absolutely. The uh, lithium is a mineral. It's a mineral that's in our soil and that it's essential for, for healthy brain function. And we've written two books on just lithium uh, over the years um, and how it affects the brain and other psychiatric disorders. But with ADHD, we have found this uh, subset of individuals with uh, irritability and, and aggression and hyperactivity to be completely deficient in lithium, have no available lithium, and we test this looking at hair samples. And, and for those individuals, we're giving uh, micro dosages, uh, again, what's available on Amazon, the health food store, not what's a prescription drug, which is very, very high uh, concentrations of the mineral lithium. That's really interesting because I think when people hear, when the average person hears lithium, it sounds scary to be giving that to your child. Um, and I, I don't know how many people really know that it's actually something that we all need and that we, that some of us might be deficient in. So um, the hair test, is that the best way to test for it? Are there other ways to test for it or? Yes, the only way that I know where we can uh, detect a trace amount of blood test or would not pick up any lithium. Um, so there really right now no other ways. And, you know, when I started this test 30 years ago, I would say maybe 20% of individuals had, you know, no lithium, um, uh, undetectable lithium. And, and now, I don't know if it's because of bottled water or other toxins in the environment, because most of our lithium is obtained through drinking tap water, that right now it's probably closer to 50, uh, 40, 50% of the um, uh, ADHD kind of irritable, hyperactive children that we're seeing. Wow, that's a lot. That's a huge percentage. Um, and what about copper and zinc? That's another combination that you talk about, and you talk about them in balance with each other. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, the, the research on, on zinc and ADHD has really exploded and it's quite well established uh, that zinc is helpful um, to treat ADHD uh, with medications, without medications, and research looking at uh, children with ADHD have lower levels of zinc. So that work has been done for a number of years. What is the, the kind of the correlate for that, but not as much talked about but I think more significant is one of the reasons why individuals are low in zinc is because of elevations in copper in our water supply in our environment. Uh, the uh, Flint, Michigan crisis, the lead um, crisis, which is just kind of horrific to think about poisoning these children with lead, it, it kind of created a lot of... Um, interest in other states looking at the water supply in their schools. Right. And, and where I live in Massachusetts um, and other communities as well, they not only looked at lead, they looked at copper uh, because of water in the copper pipes. Right. And, and the vast majority, over 50% of the schools had toxic levels of copper in the water fountains in elementary schools um, for children. And, is this something new or is it because the piping has been there for so many years that it's more is seeping into the water? Yeah, it appears that, you know, more copper is seeping in, less zinc. There are other reasons we're zinc deficient. And again, that's the, the seesaw relationship we describe in the book. As copper levels go up, zinc levels go down. Um, and high copper 
is a not uncommon contributing factor to a subset, not every child, but a subset of kids with um, ADHD. So how do you how do you test for the copper and zinc then or is it is it like the magnesium where you just add zinc and try and see if that helps uh you know many parents and and pediatricians do just add zinc and and see if it helps zinc with magnesium Uh, i prefer to do the testing and you can pick up uh, elevated copper in the hair test similar to the lithium so we look at the copper zinc ratio and um, if it's very, very elevated, um, then we would uh, aggressively treat with zinc. Okay. And are there other um, minerals and nutritional uh, sub- supplements that you work with in this plan? Or is it primarily the magnesium, the lithium, and then the copper-zinc balance? Well, I mean, I think we, we've hit the three uh, most important, but there are other kind of vitamins and minerals and things that we look at um, in our picture. The B- B6 and, and B12 and folate, folic acid, are three uh, B vitamins that uh, can contribute to symptoms of inattention and uh, ADHD. Okay. And then what about the role of sugar? There's so much conversation out there now, and there has been for a while, about sugar and trying to cut back on the level of sugar that we all take in, but that when children have sugar, they become more hyper, so we should give them less. Um, How does sugar play into all of this? You know, uh, uh, when I first started talking about this many years ago, there was only one article written by, uh, published in a pediatric journal saying that uh, sugar had no effect on ADHD. So I had to talk about the, the research and, and say there was no ev- scientific evidence that had an effect. But clearly in my practice and with parents, there are some individuals that are very sensitive to refined sugar and behavior improves when that's limited. Uh, over the years, there has been, you know, substantial literature looking at a couple uh, indices of sugar consumption. One is just a, a carbohydrate refined diet affecting mm-hmm. behavior problems in children. Um, the other is the sugar sweetened beverages, and that has shown a direct correlation um, with ADHD. So. The sugar-sweetened beverages, the sodas that have very high amounts of sugar has uh, recently clearly been associated with symptoms of ADHD. The more sodas these kids drink, uh, the more behavior and ADD symptoms uh, seem to appear. So it it is likely both the sugar and for the soda, it's also the phosphorus, which uh, tends to contribute to symptoms of ADHD. So is it just that sugar is making anyone who these sugar sweetened beverages or sodas, is it that it makes anybody more hyper or is it especially um, exacerbated with kids who have ADHD? Can we? Uh, well, certainly uh, we all know individuals who can eat junk food and sugar and um, be completely fine and has no effect on their, their mood or their behavior. I think it's a combination of things. Absolutely, there's a genetic vulnerability to ADHD, um, and I think they're more sensitive to carbohydrates. And number two, if you eat a lot of uh, refined sugar, a lot of junk food diet, um, I use the term nutritional vacuum cleaner, that some of the, um, uh, to metabolize that sugar, you need to, to kind of steal some of the B vitamins. So you create these nutritional deficiencies um, that your body then uh, struggles with, and, and oftentimes it's related to uh, B vitamin deficiencies. Okay. So it's like really to, double-edged I'd, sword. I'd like to continue with that in just a minute. We're going to head for a short commercial break, so don't go away. We'll be right back to talk some more about ADHD and how individuals can be treated naturally without medication in some circumstances. We'll be right back to Perspectives. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch with me via email at drv4kids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. I'm here with Dr. Greenblatt, and we are talking about treating individuals with ADHD and the various ways that we can approach ADHD um, through natural treatments. So before the break, we were talking about the role of sugar, and um, you started to say something about it. Is there a genetic component to how we can handle the sugar? You were saying how some people we know can eat as much junk food as they want and not get impacted by it. well, I think there's a genetic component to everything, you know, that we do and think and the the, uh, the right diet and the right amount of exercise. And it's that kind of genetic environmental dance that uh, creates many of the symptoms that we see in these kids. But the genetics is not necessarily for sugar. The genetics might be more prone to ADHD. And someone with, AD, someone with ADHD might require... Um, uh, what we found is a higher protein diet okay. and, and less sugar as sugar does, um, oftentimes deplete nutrients. So, um, now we talked about sugar as in added sugar, uh, as in a sweetened beverage, for example, and also carbohydrates. So is this also, are you also referring to carbohydrates? Uh, not, 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 uh, complex carbohydrates, but just the junk food, refined carbohydrates, the, the, the candies and the sugars and the cookies. And and I, I do need to just caution as a um, psychiatrist talking to parents for so long. Um, there are parents now that are so rigid around diet with their kids that they do start restricting many foods um, and they start calling good and bad foods. And, and certainly our approach in my experience is they're not good and bad food. You know, the, the moderation is, is really the key to healthy parenting, and it's really important that we understand that. But we certainly um, want to do the pe- best we can if we're looking at a dietary intervention for an ADHD child to, you know, particularly the sugar-sweetened beverages where we're getting 12, 14, you know, teaspoons of sugar uh, to switch to healthier drinks and, and minimize the intake of those uh, refined uh, sugars. Well, I appreciate your comment about the balance because a lot of my work, I focus in on stressing 
a sense of moderation and balance with parents and children, um, because I agree with you. I think often when when a family comes to therapy, to a psychiatrist, to a therapist, they are in need of help, and they so they will grasp on to whatever you say, and then will sometimes take it to an extreme and follow it very rigidly. Whereas, I think ultimately we need to to follow those instructions with a sense of moderation and with a sense of reality and balance on how to fit it into each person's life. Um, so I think that's a that's an important point that I would also like to stress. Um, I also have a question about another topic that I get quite frequently, which is screen time. Um, there's obviously a lot of conversation and a lot of articles written about good and bad aspects of screen time for children and what age it's okay for children to have screen time. How does screen time play into ADHD and treatment? Well, this is a question that is, you know, we get asked all the time and then parents coming in that really believe that, you know, if they had less screen time, their ADHD would disappear. And, and I find the way you described uh, diet and moderation is, is really the key here. So I, I, I believe there's very good research, uh, particularly on young kids, that in front of a, a TV, computer, iPad early on um, clearly um, affects neurodevelopment and, and likely the amount of screen time will increase uh, attentional issues. So I'm really worried about the infants and young children. But for the, you know, eight, nine-year-old child, um, uh, it's, it's moderation, um, you know, in terms of um, the parents, particularly with ADHD kids, when they like something, they get into something, the video games, they, they can get into it and very hard to come out of it. So as a, as a reward after homework is done, I, I think there's a role um, because the culture is so far, um, you know, immersed. In, in technology that I, I just think it's too hard on these kids to avoid it. And it doesn't cure ADHD by taking away their phone or TV time. But it, it is um, common that our ADHD kids can get lost and stuck because it takes that bored brain into another place and they can increase the neurotransmitters that they're deficient in, like dopamine, during these um, high-intense video games. So it's really, it's limit setting and moderation, but it's not 100% restriction because it's not going to cure their ADHD. Because I also have parents who come to me and say that um, their child will be very hyperactive and they don't know what to do with them, but then if they give them a tablet, it will calm their toddler, their toddler down. Um, is that... I mean, obviously, it's true for that child in the moment, but is that really something that's calming them down, or is it doing more harm, do you think? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be concerned about yeah, infants and toddlers um, using screens too much as a way to regulate behavior and, and quote, calm down. Um, for an older child, I think it's a very, uh, could be a good reward system. Okay. Uh, but the infants and toddlers, I, I do worry about it. Uh, occasional, uh, maybe just because it's so available. I mean, I was at a restaurant where uh, an infant was just handed a screen in a carriage while the parents drank and ate, and the kid was uh, immersed in this video. Right. We, I think many of us have seen that um, quite a bit more than we would have previously. Uh, what about the role of sleep and exercise? Uh, sure. The, the lifestyle uh, changes, um, you know, have been well-researched as its effect on ADHD. Uh, we know children with ADHD have sleep uh, problems, very common complaint, can't go to sleep. Oftentimes that is completely reversed with the magnesium uh, supplements we talked about. Uh, sometimes we need medications for a short uh, time. What is um, the biggest problem I see is not addressing the sleep and, and just letting the kids stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning and then getting them up for school. And that sleep deprivation does affect attention and the symptoms of ADHD. 
So regulating sleep, I think, is really important. We use nutritional supplements. We use just good sleep hygiene. I do like taking away the screen, you know, an hour before bed um, and have more calming uh, activities before bed, I think, is really important. And exercise? Exercise, you mentioned. Yes. Yeah, that, there the research is also quite good. Um, exercise being helpful in the treatment of ADHD, improving attention. Lots of older kids, adolescents, and college kids understand they focus better after exercise or doing routine exercise, and, and there's good research to support. What people aren't as familiar with is some of the, um, the slower exercises like martial arts and yoga and, and karate also um, have been shown to enhance attention um, pretty dramatically in children and adolescents with ADHD. So when I've suggested yoga or meditation to parents of children who, have, who are hyperactive, um, they say, well, how, do I, uh, uh, how would that work? Because um, how do you get the child to slow down enough to actually do it, to actually sit still for that long? Um, do you find that kids will adapt and kids will accept it? Well, I think um, the important thing is to help parents understand it. it's not meditation. I think we uh, switch the term to mindfulness. And for an ADHD child, they, we wouldn't ask them to sit there, but we can do mindful walking um, as, a, as a place to get started. And so the mindfulness exercises, um, just being able to kind of focus on what's happening now in the moment or on their walk is sometimes a very, very easy uh, place to start. What you find with kids with ADHD, there is some things, pockets of their life where they can attend to and, and very easily. I have some ADHD kids who can't sit in class, but they can spend eight hours sitting there fishing okay. or playing chess or other things. So I would be using any opportunities to kind of use a mindfulness a program on walking um, or other things that the kids enjoy doing. Okay. Um, those are great, great points. Um, I'd like to shift gears back a little bit to food and supplements. And do you find that a lot of these kids have food sensitivities and um, also intestinal imbalances, and what is the relationship there, and how do you work with that? I, I find the younger children, um, you know, the, the six and seven and under that have a, a significantly abnormal behavior, um, that oftentimes, 89% of the time, we can find uh, food sensitivities uh, or gut problems. Um, as the kids get older, um, it, it's just not as common. We still see them. But for the younger kids, I'm very reluctant to use supplements. I'm very reluctant to do medications. I'm looking oftentimes for food sensitivities. Um, the gut uh, problem is a growing area of research in psychiatry across all diagnoses. Um, and it's really fascinating um, research uh, that's happening. But we have more you know, gut bacteria than human cells. Many of it um, is associated with the chemicals that affect behavior, neurotransmitters. What we see is particularly children that have had uh, multiple courses of antibiotics mm -hmm. for ear infections or other infections, that oftentimes that can destroy some of the gut good bacteria and create overgrowth of, of yeast or other bacteria that can contribute to kind of some of the behavioral symptoms that we describe as ADHD. So is there a way to measure for that or assess for that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to, um, uh, to, to not look at some of the testing. So there's a urine testing, organic acid testing, where we can look at metabolites of yeast or metabolites, chemicals that come from a certain bacteria that, that do affect behavior. So it's one of the uh, chapters in the book we describe as um, the gut-brain connection and helping parents understand what, uh, and again, not every child with ADHD would have a problem with bacteria or yeast overgrowth, but some do. 
And is that treated with probiotics or is it or is it something else or oftentimes it'd be a high dose probiotics absolutely um, could be helpful okay it It sounds like there are a number of different ways that you approach ADHD with your patients and not everything will work for everyone. Um, and is there, and, and some things will, some kids will need all of these different aspects added back in. Is there a, 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 a sort of a route? Is there a plan where you start with step one and work through? Or do you, how does, how does your plan work? Is it a certain role they have to follow? Yeah. Well, I think the plus minus plan is um, rather than a cookbook, it just exposes um, parents and professionals to a way of thinking about what might be contributing. And it does start with um, magnesium as the most common deficiency. Um, And each chapter ends with what to do next, Um, dosages, as well as what testing might be helpful and how to kind of uh, be able to monitor um, what might be uh, the next step. Okay, we have about 30 seconds left, and I was wondering if you had any specific do's and don'ts in treating ADHD that you might cover. Just a few. Yeah, uh, the one most important is really try to, um, again, uh, appreciate that uh, our children are not doing these behaviors on purpose, so really um, understand that this is um, something they want help with, so both the behavioral and, and nutritional help. And again, don't be blinded by the internet when they sell you a supplement that this cures ADHD. Your child is unique. You need to go to a professional who can help sort out what might be contributing um, to those symptoms. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Perspectives. I've been talking to Dr. Greenblatt, psychiatrist and author of Finally Focused, a book about treating individuals with ADHD without medication. This is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition. Feel free to email me at drv4kids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. And I hope you have a wonderful week. Until next time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.